Hello and welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Marta and my partner in podcast here is... Megan! Hey! Hey! So as podcast listeners, you guys are probably pretty uh, familiar with the whole auditory world and you probably listen to a lot of music, maybe audiobooks as well. Well, we mentioned in one of our past episodes like a long, long time ago that there's this field of psychology called music therapy um, and it has to do with how, you know, the sounds that you hear, the music music that you can hear can actually be used as a therapy that has non-musical goals. And that's something that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about music in general and how it affects humans. And then we're going to be talking about music therapy, like a definition of what it is and specific music therapies, which Megan's going to be covering. Uh, and then we're going to be covering careers and like your education path if you want to become a music therapist. Hopefully you guys really like this since you, like us, are audiophiles because you listen to podcasts and probably a bunch of music. Um, and yeah, we cover a lot about music, but in this episode and probably in our next episode, we want you guys to, like, if questions come up while you're listening to this, we want you to write them down or, like, make note of them somehow and let us know. Because even though we do a overview of these fields, we didn't get to drill in as deep as we want to uh, in either one of these episodes so take notes of your questions and then send them to us because we would love to do follow-up episodes and we just want to make sure that if we do a follow-up episode it's something that you guys actually want to hear about and you're not like bored out of your minds listening to a follow-up <laughs> so if you have questions let us know we'll dig into it further for you yeah that's it so as i mentioned i was going to touch touch upon music in general i found this uh talk from the world science festival in 2015 fun fact alec baldwin was one of the hosts of it whoa that is fun <laughs> yeah um and the researcher that was talking it looked like alec baldwin was really really bored during the <laughs> during the researcher's talk because he was talking and then he'd like turn to face alec baldwin and alec was just like looking at his paper and reading his notes and just like clearing his throat and like not looking up at the researcher at all and i was like ooh, weird body language so if you guys want to um watch that <laughs> awkwardness it's uh the video is really short but the title is neuroscientist talks music's effect on the brain um and it's the world science festival in 2015 anyway so um why i like this one is because it shows you images of what's happening to the brain while people are looking uh, listening to music so just on a very basic level um and it's obvious that there are emotional changes in people when they're listening to music and music has like something tied to our perception of emotion uh, and it's actually quite interesting because when you're listening to music there are so many different things that you can hear in music so rhythm timbre or harmony or other aspects of music so looking at just uh, harmony there's widespread activation across both hemispheres of the brain and it's not just in your auditory cortex so you when you're listening to harmonies you also use areas of your forebrain that's involved in abstract thinking and you also involve your parietal cortex which is involved in spatial cognition so when we're hearing something we're using so much more of our brain than just the hearing parts and that's part of why like probably music therapy is so powerful mm -hmm. Music isn't just a powerful way to activate emotion systems. It also activates memory, motor control, imagery, sequencing, attention, spatial processing, and abstract thinking. And I'm sure Megan's going to dive further into that as well as part of, or like maybe not dive further into it, but just like we'll, touch we'll, upon. We'll touch upon, yeah. Yeah, how using music to trigger, for example, motor control can help with stroke patients or something like that. 
Um, just through a quick academic search, there's so many ways that music affects people and um, music affects like living things. So the first study that I touched that I found was music therapy in rats showed that music helps regulate blood pressure in rats. Uh, these rats suffered from spontaneous hypertension. If they were listening to like calming music, it helped regulate their blood pressure. Also, something that's really interesting is that babies understand music like you don't have to teach babies mm -hmm. to bounce to a rhythm as soon as they're able to like organize their bodies to like bounce along to a rhythm they do and like yeah. guys there's this whole area on youtube that is undiscovered but it's just babies bouncing to music and it's the fucking cutest thing because there's like the one video that's coming to my mind right now is like these two little boys and there's like this stupid little like w uh, fisher price song mm -hmm. playing and they're like both like uncontrollably like <laughs> just bopping their bodies and it's marta's like uncontrollably <laughs> bopping and shaking the car as she imitates that it's the cutest fucking thing but what i um why i mentioned that babies understand music is because it's somehow linked to how we learn language or processing syntax so when we listen to music we understand that there's like hierarchies that the main beat is the bass and then like the melodies and the harmonies are things that lay on top of the main beat and when we listen to music we listen to it as a whole and then our brain deconstructs the music into its different parts and then we put it back together to understand it and to like make inferences or emotional connections or whatever to it it's similar or it's like connected to language because humans also like we are innately programmed to learn language mm -hmm. like you don't have to teach a baby to learn language you don't have to teach a baby to learn music but you do have to like for example reading isn't natural reading is something that we won't just learn on our own mm -hmm. it has to be taught so music is innate and then there was a finding about people who suffer from Broca's aphasia so the Broca's area of your brain is a very specific part um, they have trouble understanding linguistic syntax so basic sentence structure People who are having a hard time understanding linguistic syntax are also ha experiencing similar effects in music. They have a hard time understanding musical syntax. Whoa. So music and language are tied in like these really interesting, unique ways that you wouldn't consider. No. Yeah. So another article I found in my quick academic search on music is that when somebody reports getting chills from music, uh, the following actually happens to their body. So they have changes in their heart rate, breathing, and electrical impulses across their brain. They also have changes in blood flow to the brain regions involved in reward, motivation, emotion, and arousal. Mm. These are the same regions associated with sex, drug use, and food. So you would think that since you can get addicted to food, can get addicted to sex, can get addicted to drug abuse, can you get addicted to music? Would it be just as bad? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that we would ever look at it as addicted, you mm -hmm. know, because it doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. I was actually listening to a podcast on the way up and... Uh, video gaming addiction is being considered as something to add to the yeah um whatever i, I don't know D not dsm maybe Ooh. to the dsm i don't know video addiction they're then. considering adding video game addiction or maybe they already have and the psychologist i was talking about it was like you know what just make sure like i always try to sub out like you know the word video game with football or with piano is it a bad thing that your child wants to keep playing piano is it an addiction if they're like if the kid if they're wants like to, so focused on it that it's all they think about yeah would you be upset if it was a piano huh so 
Anyway, we'll probably cut that. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's an interesting point. Um, Next up, music training in children. So I actually have quite a bit of research about this. Um, Children who have been musically trained have uh, shown an enhancement of visual, spatial, verbal, and mathematical performance. Uh, You need at least three years of training or more for these studies. And the reason that this is so interesting is because you can compare it to other children who do not have musical training Mm -hmm. so you can very easily set these experimental conditions um the children with musical training had better nonverbal reasoning specifically fine motor skills kind of obviously auditory discrimination and vocabulary yet Hmm. another link between language and um music yes thank you (laughs) another study found that music can help kids with their math, which we already talked about, attendance, reading, and confidence. So these are specifically like school-based findings. And um, I don't even know if this one was about being a musician or um, listening to music, but I should have probably looked into that. But yeah, so music can influence our children quite a bit. Music therapy is also very closely tied to traumatic brain injury and stroke. uh, And part of this is because music activates so many different parts of your brain and like anything that harms your brain you might need different ways to activate Mm -hmm. it and finally music and eating so the tempo of music there and finally music and eating so uh they played music in like three different eating conditions one group had fast music playing fast tempo one group had slow tempo and one group had no music at the end when they were conducting a exit interview the participants like didn't even register that there was music playing when they were told to like describe the environment Mm -hmm. etc like they didn't even think about it they weren't like oh there was fast tempo music so i was eating faster but the findings were the faster the tempo music the more bites you take per minute huh yeah and slower tempo tempo you take slower bites per minute or fewer bites per minute and then everybody has like their baseline speed where there's no music the no music speed yeah so um, that was something that was interesting and restaurants might be using it too. <laughs> That's really interesting. Like to, I want you to leave. So we're always going to play fast tempo music. So we have a higher table turnover. Yeah, exactly. But like fine dining establishments where they want you to stay and like just keep getting more wine. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they would play slower tempo music. Huh. Yeah. Or like maybe they'd play fast tempo music, but like calming music with a fast staccato tempo. Maybe. Then you're like drinking your wine quickly, but you're not in a rush to get out. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, You know, what's interesting. It's not really related to eating, but um, another example of music being used to like affect people in a space that like sort of unknowingly. Uh, No, but probably uh, in Nathan Phillips Square. No, sorry, not Nathan Phillips Square. um, the Dundas Square, right oh, okay. at Young and Dundas in yeah. Toronto. Um, if you go through there when there isn't an event, like when it's just like the morning or like in the middle of the night, if you're walking through there and there's not something like happening, they play classical music. And yeah. the reason is because there's always people in Young and Dundas Square and there's a lot of like partying near there, in there, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot, there's a lot kind of going on and there's a lot of potential for aggression or for um you know inappropriate or like dangerous behavior there just because it's such a like central downtown intersection um so they play classical music because you're not gonna like 
start a fight no to a symphony i mean i'm just imagining like vivaldi's four seasons yeah. and like just a slow motion yeah. brawl which would be really interesting it's, like i don't know it's I weird like it's a i used mob movie thing maybe like slow motion like fighting and killing to like oh yeah music. but that's a movie and that's like a juxtaposition and like we're trying to like bring out a lot of emotions that's a different side of music true true <laughs> but um yeah it was i used to walk through young and dundas every morning on my way to work and it was really kind of neat i'd walk through and i would hear it playing and like there would be a ton of people there who were like clearly strung out and have been there all night and they were <laughs> chill they were so chill i was never i never ever felt at risk in all of the different like places i would walk in toronto i never felt at risk there because like club you're, you're not gonna us. get mugged when <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. when there's classical music playing it's just not gonna happen well i mean and there's you, a lot of cameras there too but whatever it does happen like don't don't blame us <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, I'm saying the likelihood is less. And that's why the city of the Toronto made that choice. Huh? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I will now always have a boombox with classical music play. <laughs> Just leave me alone. <laughs> uh, somebody I don't comes know up what song to, that is. Somebody comes up to me to mug me and then they're like, wow, I'm suddenly feeling so serene. That violin concerto is just, I no longer want to steal. That appreggio is just... <laughs> um, so speaking of actually music and emotion, there, this one researcher who I came across a couple times, his name is Oliver Sacks. He's a writer and a neurologist, and he likes to explore how the brain reacts to music. And there was one study that he conducted on himself, actually, because he loves Bach and he has a, like an emotional connection to it, to his music, etc. But he doesn't really like Beethoven, right? He there's nothing special about Beethoven when he listens to Beethoven. Doesn't give him mm -hmm. chills or anything. But both uh, composers have very similar like elements in their music. Mm -hmm. So if you play a music that's like similar temp, a song that's similar tempo and similar instruments and similar. Um, like construction regardless of if it's Bach or Beethoven you'd think that your brain would react the same like the same areas of your brain would be lighting up you would think but they're not huh. so he um I don't know if this was extended onto a larger group of people but for himself he went into a uh, brain scanner I don't know if it was like fMRI or EEG um and they wanted to test if somebody's brain loves Bach as much as the listener thinks he loves Bach and if the brain reacts the same way to Beethoven huh. so as far as all the areas of the brain that are activated it's pretty similar except for the amygdala your amygdala is activated when you're listening to music that you do love but not activated when you're listening to music that you have no particular feeling towards so if a piece of music has like significance to one person doesn't necessarily mean that that piece of music is particularly emotive it's that that person has those associations and your amygdala is attached what's even more interesting is there was one point in the study where he couldn't differentiate between if he was listening to Bach or Beethoven and in the while he was in the brain scanner he's like i don't know who this is it was actually bach and his brain knew it was bach whoa but so he like his amygdala was activated yeah. jive into it yeah yeah whoa yeah so his brain recognized the difference even when he couldn't and so that's the part that like gave me chills about it that's so neat mm -hmm. that's so crazy it's like it was unconscious but totally conscious at the same time 
Yeah, there's another study about music and emotion, um, and it's it came from Talia Wheely, a neuroscientist at Dartmouth and one of her graduate students. So people were given a task and a list of emotions to use. So angry, happy, peaceful, sad, or scared. Uh, the task was either, there were two groups, the task was either to animate this video of this little red ball, and you can change different uh, aspects of the ball, like how quickly it was bouncing, if it was bouncing, if it was rolling, the texture of the ball, that sort of thing, or to compose a piece of music, same thing. So you could, you could modify the same things across both. So if you can make the ball bounce more, then you can make the music, like you can make the notes come more rapidly. If you can make the ball bounce higher or lower, then you can make the beats vary in height as well, or vary in like, uh, level jumps mm -hmm. or whatever what they found was that vision and um vision and hearing are very very closely related in our experience of emotion so if we see a ball that's jumping really quickly and really aggressively then we have the same emotional response as when we're listening to music where the notes are jumping really quickly and really aggressively wow. yeah and this wasn't just found in north america or in the states like so it's not just a singular cultural thing because the same study like so they produced these videos and these pieces of music uh and then they actually played them for other people and the people were told or were asked to say like what kind of emotion does this elicit from you and people in north america and people in uh, this rural town in cambodia that's like relatively uninfluenced from like any western influence or even any like main media whatever was giving the same answers so a sad ball was a sad ball animation in north america and in cambodia huh so that's like music and emotion but what this also links to is our feeling of motion in general like the body's movement just like we can tell that somebody's like sad and dejected if they're like walking with their head down and trudging we can also t tell if music is sad and dejecting or like we can it also might help us in the reading of people's emotions when we're talking to them hmm. because we pick up on those things like are they talking really quickly with lots of inflection or are they talking pretty monotone and slowly like what does that have to do with their emotion and how are we picking it up so Music is just wild, guys. And this kind of leads me into my question. Megan, uh, what is music therapy and how does it kind of tie in? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Marta, because I have a bunch of information that's prepared to answer it. Um, so music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish individualized goals between a credentialed professional who has completed like an approved music therapy program which marta will talk about a little later i was gonna say you just took like half of my and their education <laughs> sorry. education section no, I'm sorry um it's uh it's one of the um more like expressive therapies and it consists of a process in which a music therapist will use music to help their client improve their physical and or mental health really quickly and this is kind of a rundown if if you listen to our sense and perception hearing episode then you've probably already heard this like we talked about in that hearing episode psychoacoustics is the study of sound perception and the psychological and physiological responses associated with sound like noise speech and of course music um, psychoacoustics is related to cognitive psychology and the effects that personal expectations and predispositions might have on a listener's reactions to sound aesthetics and their thought about the quality of different instruments or performers or songs which is really relevant to music therapy 
So uh, music, like Marta was talking about, has many different aspects to it. And a music therapist would incorporate some or all of those aspects into their work with a client. So it could be the physical aspect of playing an instrument, the emotional aspect of responding to music, um, mental, like learning an instrument or, or reading music, social, like playing or listening to music with other people, and aesthetic and spiritual. So do I like this music or how does that music make me feel? Mm-hmm. Um, that all contributes to improvement in cognitive functioning and motor skills, like example, um, helping people who have a physical disability or recovering from an ailment or a disorder, uh, like a stroke or another nerve damage or something like that, helping them like follow a beat, like physically move to follow a beat or something like that. Um, it also it contributes to improved emotional development, social skills, and overall quality of life. And I think the example that I shared in the hearing episode was uh, actually an old friend of mine who as a child really struggled with ADHD and had a lot of aggression and behavioral problems. And Was it me? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, but but yeah, very similar. Like as a child, he was just like extremely aggressive and, and was constantly in trouble. Like, you know, just just he was like a bad kid. But then he was introduced to the guitar and he was able to focus all of that energy into his instrument. And he has really attributed that to changing his quality of life. Like he had an outlet now. It helped him feel accomplished. He was good at something. He could also like focus on it for hours at end so he became quite accomplished in guitar he ended up going to Humber for guitar and he's like the most calm gentle kind person in the world and if he hadn't had the opportunity to play guitar like I'm sure he would have found it anyway because that's who he is but like it's just really incredible that it kind of let him grow into that person at a younger age yeah Yeah. and from my research we know that he has better math attendance reading and confidence yeah 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 um so yeah so that's a a quick rundown of what music therapy is and some brief examples of it i'm going to talk more about uh, uh specific examples of applications of music therapy but before that marta wants to share a little more yeah uh so there were two more ted talks that i listen to and the reason I wanted you Megan to do your definition of music therapy first is because both these TED talks were by music therapists Uh, and I just wanted you guys to have a basic definition of it so the first TED talk I listened to was by Erin Sabert and it's called why I want to change the world with music therapy she's uh, pretty young and like enthusiastic about music therapy Mm -hmm. and she's like I can change the world and it's kind of a little bit like I felt like she was bubbly. Yeah, Yeah, she was. She was definitely bubbly. And so she starts out with, okay, think of the household names of professions. So you have lawyer, you have doctor, you have vet, whatever. You have musician and you have therapist. But when you put those two words together, people don't get it. It's like, what do you mean music therapist? Like, what do you just like play music at people or what? And so she went into how music is actually one of the longest standing self-prescribed therapies. So with your, um, with your anecdotal story Mm -hmm. about your friend with, uh, learning the guitar and how it helped calm him. That was the same thing for me. Like whenever I was feeling intense, unmanageable emotions, I would listen to like AFI or, (laughs) or like Billy talent or whatever. Like there was this one album of Billy talent that I legit just played on repeat when I was pissed. And I would just like, blast it or was it 
yeah, I don't know. There was a couple albums, but like specifically one of Billy Talent that I would just blast. And like every so often I'll still play it in my car or the, um, album I am Sasha Fierce Beyonce's album that got me through like a hectic breakup and it actually uh, I'm sure it did (laughs) it definitely (laughs) did um and it it was actually gifted to me by the guy who dumped me so it was just like even better I was like I hate you but like I'm really glad I asked for the CD (laughs) and like I am Sasha Fierce heck yes you are (laughs) um she also mentioned that parties don't exist without music have you ever gone to a party where there's a bunch of people and there's no music um and was it shit i'm trying to think yeah i have gone to a couple of parties uh it wasn't shit but it was an outside party so it sort of made sense it's a it was like a barbecue okay i mean i mean one i'm upset that you ruined my thesis i'm so sorry (laughs) but like two if you if i'm thinking about like house parties or a party where we're all like inside whatever like there's always something i've never been to a party with people of my own age Ah. where there wasn't some sort of music the parties i was thinking of actually like my parents have had a few parties and they like are super fun but they're like for visiting and conversation and like it gets pretty rowdy yeah but yeah yeah uh music helps also improve focus like we are almost always listening to music in the car while we're driving Mm -hmm. so that it gives us something to listen to while Mm -hmm. we're focusing our like visual attention on something else music or podcasts yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's Um, got there's just got to be some sort of for me there's got to be some sort of auditory business yeah uh and then also like for example when the scoring the winning goal is scored at a match or something like that like the band is still there so they play music um officially the earliest applications of music therapy began around the time of the world wars so when soldiers were coming home with ptsd there were musicians in the um areas yeah playing for them also uh, when they started doing that they noticed that the soldiers were reacting a certain way to certain pieces they were playing and they were reacting a different way to other pieces that they were playing so this took led the musicians to leave try to gather more information and then come back it makes me think of um i don't know if you've ever seen downton abbey but i'm like a huge downton abbey fan and uh they their home becomes like a a respite for wounded soldiers in the first world war and there's an episode where they have like a little concert for the soldiers and it's really the daughters sing and it's like it's cute it's really sweet um (laughs) they sing like a song about like like uh, loving your sweetheart and it's just very like oh of course this is making me cry because every episode (laughs) makes me cry (laughs) um both both of the ted talks that i listened to the speakers were very adamant about saying the musical therapist is not there for entertainment they're there for therapy yeah Um, and this therapist can this therapy can exist across many different populations and the goals are not musical as i've already mentioned they are created with the intention of having the patient feel better progress and handle handle symptoms Um, then she went into the elements of music and levels of experience so i just wanted to bring this up so elements of music there's melody rhythm words harmony timbre tempo dynamics and form so there's quite a few elements of music and each one can be used individually or in combination with others as part of music therapy and then while we're listening to music there's different levels of our personal experience so memory emotions participation type so passive versus active uh, and then familiarity so if this is something we know and love or if it's something completely new 
And music therapists can use any element to work with a non-musical goal, such as rhythm. Um, rhythm pulls the brain into something called entrainment. When you're listening to a rhythm, your brain matches it and starts to anticipate it. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is there's an example of a stroke patient relearning how to walk because when you walk, like everything that we do as humans also has a rhythm. So like the way we breathe or our heartbeat, whatever. And when you walk, it also has a rhythm. So if they're listening to a walking rhythm, it helps them control their body in a better way if they're listening to walking rhythm. Um, it's the same with like, that just made me think of working out. Like I specifically choose music for running that I can like match pace with and it's clinically proven to improve endurance as well yeah yeah and there's uh, absolutely Lady Gaga makes me run longer la, la, <laughs> la, la, la. no but not that one I, I try to stick away from like the, the earworms yeah. but yeah <laughs> yeah uh -huh. Uh, with regards to memory, music can also be used to recall memory, which is especially important when memory seems to be lost, um, because other areas of the brain try to compensate when you're losing your memory. Uh, you might not be able to recall something by talking about it, but you might be able to sing about it. So that's something very interesting as well. And I think that you smiled knowingly. Yeah. Uh, I think I watched a TED talk or like I read something similar to that, that it was like, I just thought it was really neat. Yeah. yeah. Um, on a related note or just finishing up, she mentioned that music can also be deeper, deeply vulnerable. So there are certain populations where a certain song was playing while they witnessed a tra traumatic event. Playing that song during your therapy, bad move yeah. on the therapist. Or for example, in the neonatal unit, which Megan's going to mention, yeah. uh, the therapists are trained in noticing overstimulation yeah. so if the babies are overstimulated you have to change your approach so there's music therapy is really powerful and positive but it also just it's evidence-based and it needs to be practiced by somebody who's certified yes because it can be detrimental as well if used wrong uh, and the second tech talk that i listened to was how music can heal our brain and heart by kathleen m how Howland. I feel like this is the maybe the TED talk that I this is the yeah. one yeah Megan listened to it and if you guys want to go take a look you she, should it's great she's a very soothing presence yeah she really is like <laughs> I listened to it at like 11 o'clock at night and I'm like I'm going to sleep so well yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, and she, she suggested that music therapy actually stretches back even further than the First World War, which mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, she said that Pythagoras had the first instance of music therapy where he was prescribing music for people who were going through traumatic events. Uh, and there's an interesting fact of we begin to respond to music as early as the womb. Yeah. Uh, and in within the first trimester of pregnancy, babies are able to hear from the outside. Or sorry, not in the first. In the last trimester of pregnancy, babies are able to hear from the outside and once they've been born they respond differently to music that they've heard previously and music that they have not so this is something that also megan will touch upon so i'm going to stop talking about it there um the connection between music and language that i already touched upon is recreated again with children so mu children who are born tone deaf are at an added disadvantage for speech and language and music has always been used to assist people with like tasks so if you think of a sea shanty like what should we do with a drunken sailor what should we do with a drunken sailor like this was used to help teams of men pull up heavy rigs and stuff like that and there's always working songs like if you think about when the pyramids were built there was probably a working song yeah, to or help like build um, them the pyramids there are so many like 
chain gang songs that's such a like kind of maybe weird example to use but um yeah totally that yeah. like when a group of people have to get together and like work together for a large goal yeah yeah and then she went on to talk about the different applications which i'm sure megan will talk about but like music for comfort so if you're in hospice care for example what you can do um there's, she gives the example of Kevin in hospice care who wrote a love song that will be played at his funeral for his wife. And Megan just told me that he also coordinated the music that was going to be played at his funeral. So it was really sweet. And in general, music can be used, can be calming in hectic environments. And something that I really liked is that the therapist, like in this TED Talk, she also had her own experience with using music for herself because she was undergoing chemo. And she said that like her friends would come and comp compose songs for her or with her or whatever. And even in the days where people were not available for her, it was still something that kept her going and kept her going through. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's everything. Those are the two TED Talks that I just wanted to talk about. Okay. So shall then I maybe talk about some applications of music therapy now that we've had a little taste of it to to wet our musical appetite you then shall okay uh so as as we've been talking about you can probably tell by now that music therapy works on quite a number of different levels for a number of different things and in a number of different ways uh music especially music with a strong rhythmic element uh, can affect heart rate and breathing it promotes the release of endorphins which are natural painkillers um, it has also been shown to reduce mu muscle tension it can be very helpful in promoting relaxation as marta was just explaining in kathleen's example of going through chemo and and being like relaxed to throughout treatment and i was legit just like stretching my back because it hurts so much and you're like should uh works for relaxing muscle muscle tension and, and i'm like clicked I should just listen to Yeah, music. why don't you just rock some tunes? Yesterday I was in a fantastic mood and listening to tons of music while driving with all my windows open and like blasting music and singing along and my back felt great. So I don't know if it was music. My back hurt my whole drive down here and I was listening to a podcast. So maybe I should have been listening to music. I mean, guys, if your back hurts right now and you're listening to this, don't turn it off. But just pause it and come back later, please. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so... Yes, it can also be helpful in releasing memories or negative feelings that might have been repressed, which can actually change behaviors and affect behavioral issues. And playing music can also improve skills like communication and physical coordination. So music therapy, it really is used for many different issues from stress relief to mental and emotional and behavioral problems. To name a few specific applications of music therapy, it's used often in the treatment of Alzheimer's and dementia patients, um, autism spectrum disorders, brain injury, childbirth and neonatal care, children with emotional disorders, community mental health, developmental delay, geriatrics, uh, hearing impairment, mental health, mentally challenged uh, clients, pain, palliative care, pervasive development disorders, physical disabilities, schizophrenia, stress management, substance abuse, and voice. And if you guys all re recognize that I did that in alphabetical order, I did. Um, um, I didn't recognize <laughs> it, but I really love that you did. And also you That's mentioned- That's how my brain works. <laughs> you also mentioned that uh, it helps with communication. And I just had like this flashbulb memory. Were you ever- like in the teen angst or like adolescent angst age were you ever like this song perfectly describes how I feel and then like sent it to a person like this is how I feel I have a really embarrassing example of that but yeah I have you could probably tell it by the way that I was saying it too that I have extremely embarrassing 
yeah examples of that too i have an embarrassing example that i like look back on and i'm like oh my god megan you're so lame anyway like we said earlier like marta said earlier um music therapy has uh, it's got to be done by a trained professional because it can have some pretty <laughs> iffy results right no um, i just have the shanae o'connor song stuck in my head nothing compares to you <laughs> <laughs> and like i can't get it out so well i mean there's i suppose there's worse nothing <laughs> <laughs> music therapy and babies let's talk about that for a little while shall we <laughs> she was shaved bald like a baby Oh, yeah, she was. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about music therapy. So first, music therapy, it is often used with, um, well, I'm going to talk about children in general, but, but I want to talk about babies specifically because I thought that was pretty fascinating. So um, music therapy is often used with disabled children. So a uh, quick and dirty history lesson here. Uh, Paul Nordoff was a Juilliard School graduate, um, pianist, composer, and professor of music. And he noticed that disabled children respond positively to music. And actually, he gave up his academic career to further investigation in the possibility of music as a means for therapy. Um, so a man by the name of Paul Nordoff, a Juilliard School graduate, pianist, composer, and professor of music, he noticed that disabled children respond very positively to music. And so he gave up his academic career to further investigate the possibility of music as a means of therapy. And another man named Clive Robbins, who was a special educator, partnered with Nordoff for over 17 years in the exploration and research of music's effects on disabled children, first in the United Kingdom and then in the U.S. in the 50s and 60s. Um, their pilot program included developing placements at care units for autistic children and child psychiatry departments. They put programs in place for children with mental disorders, emotional disturbances, developmental delays, and other handicaps, and their success at establishing a means of communication and relationship with autistic children at the University of Pennsylvania gave rise to the National Institute of Health's first grant given of that nature, and the five-year study called Music Therapy Project for Psychotic Children Under 7 at the Daycare Unit. Catchy um, name. Yeah, I know. It's a long and boring title, so you know it was legit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so th I just wanted to, to mention that a little bit of a history lesson there. So music therapy used in child rehabilitation has had a substantial emphasis on sensory motor development, including balance and position, locomotion, agility, mobility, range of motion, strength, laterality, and directionality. And rhythmic stimuli has been found to help balance training for those with brain injury. Um, singing is also a form of rehabilitation for neurological impairments, um, like following a brain injury. Uh, it could be the form of apraxia, which is like a loss to perform purposeful movements or dysarthria, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, which no is muscle control disturbances due to damage of the central nervous system and aphasia, which is a defect in expression causing distorted speech or language comprehension. Um, so singing training has been found to improve speech clarity and coordination of speech muscles, and that accelerates rehabilitation for those specific neurological impairments. Huh. And an example is there's um, something called melodic intonation 
communication therapy, which is the practice of communicating with others by singing to enhance speech or increase speech production by promoting socialization and emotional expression. Which really I thought tempted was neat. to tie back that singing the Sinead O'Connor song <laughs> as communicating. Hey, you know what? Nothing compares to singing when it comes to <laughs> recovering from. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. Uh, Finally, music therapy is thought to be helpful with children with autism spectrum um, or pardon me on the autism spectrum by providing repetitive stimuli, which aim to teach the brain other possible ways to respond that might be more useful as they grow older. And I'm not going to talk about this a whole lot now because we do have an autism episode or two planned in the coming weeks. So I'm thinking it might be better to maybe um, talk more about that as an aspect to those conversations. Um, And also maybe like as a follow-up episode, like once we have a little bit more base knowledge and we've shared more base knowledge about autism with listeners, then maybe it'd be better to talk specifically about that, but just wanted to mention it for now. Um, Yeah. Anyway, sort of switching gears. Like I said, I got kind of fascinated about music therapy for babies because I didn't realize that this was an application before I started researching this. And it's also just like really fucking cool. Um, So in particular, um, music therapy is used with uh, premature babies. So those are are babies who are born at 37 weeks or less in their gestational stage preemies yes so premature babies are subject to many health risks because of that premature birth like abnormal breathing problems or decreased body fat and muscle tissue they have perhaps feeding issues Um, like the the coordination for sucking and breathing is often not fully developed in a premature baby so it makes feeding a big challenge for them Um, stimulation programs and interventions that they benefited from during hospitalization like music therapy is directly related to improved developmental activity and behavioral status of preemie infants when they are discharged from the neonatal intensive care unit. And I thought this was fascinating. So a few common therapies, um, live or recorded music. This is effective in promoting respiratory regularity and oxygen saturation levels, as well as decreasing signs of neonatal distress. So premature infants have sensitive and immature sensory modalities. So music is often performed in like a really gentle and controlled environment, either in the form of audio recordings or live vocalization although live singing has been shown to have a greater effect. So again, singing's coming back here. Um, Live music also reduces the physiological responses in parents. So studies have shown that by combining live music, maternal anxiety is reduced, which allows for parents, especially mothers, to spend important time bonding with their premature infant. I'm just imagining here like... A room full of mothers holding their babies just to like the most soothing, to, yeah. lovely music. Yeah, it totally. Um, a sidebar here female singing voices are shown to be more effective at soothing premature infants, and premature infants show a preference for the sound of female singing voice, which makes it even more beneficial as a live instrument to use. I would think that that's because they're, because um, babies. In the studies that I looked at, babies show preference to music that they've heard before. And since you're in your mother's womb, probably you that's hear the voice, female like, voice. Or, yeah, a female voice is what you are yeah. most familiar with. Yeah, that's a good yeah. line to draw, I think. Another uh, application of music therapy in premature babies is the promotion of healthy sucking reflexes. So they use this 
pacifier activated lullaby device to help what? promote I know to help promote stronger sucking reflexes while also reducing pain perception for the infant so there's also this thing called a gato box or a gato box I don't know the exact pronunciation mm-hmm. of it but it's a small rectangular instrument that stimulates a prenatal heartbeat sound in a soft and rhythmic manner which has been effective in aiding sucking behaviors and I also read that this box simulates the sound of the womb because the human response to music actually begins in the womb so it's like anyway um the music therapist would use their fingers to tap on the drum and the rhythm supports movement when feeding and promotes healthy sucking patterns oh so just like with the walking and stroke yeah rhythm works with helping your body's rhythm exactly yeah um And by improving sucking patterns, babies are able to coordinate the important dual mechanism of breathing and sucking and swallowing that's needed to feed, which promotes growth and weight gain. And when this treatment proves effective, infants are able to leave the hospital much earlier. So uh, another application is infant stimulation. So this type of intervention uses musical stimulation to compensate for the lack of normal environmental sensory stimulation found in the NICU. The sound environment of the NICU can be really disruptive, right? And music therapy can mask unwanted auditory stimuli to promote a calmer environment that reduces complications for high risk or failure to thrive infants. Just real quick, NICU, that's neonative intensive care unit? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I thought I had said it earlier. And so I just kind of go with the, like, I said it once and now we're on to acronyms forever. Yeah. Well, we could just call it NICU because isn't that what Grey's Anatomy calls it? I didn't know that, but I'm calling it NICU now. Yeah. (laughs) Parent-infant bonding can also be affected by the noise of the NICU, which can delay the interactions between parents and their babies. And music therapy creates a relaxed and peaceful environment for parents to bond with their babies while incubated. Hmm. And the last one I want to mention for premature babies is uh, parent-infant bonding. Therapists will actually work with parents to teach them how to perform infant-directed singing techniques as well, uh, like for home care. Um, Singing lullabies therapeutically can promote relaxation and decrease heart rate in premature infants. And by calming premature babies, it allows them to um, preserve their energy and that creates a stable environment for growth. And these techniques can also improve overall sleep quality, caloric intake, and feeding behaviors, which aid in the development of the baby while they're still in the NICU. Um, Singing has also shown greater results in improving oxygen saturation levels for infants while incubated than mother's speech alone. And this technique promoted high levels of oxygen for longer periods of time. So basically, sing to your babies <laughs> is Will all do. I can say. I mean, like, not like you wouldn't anyway. I think it's kind of goes hand in hand. You sing to babies to make mm-hmm. them go to sleep, but mm-hmm. it's just, it is really, really good for them for more than just like getting them to go to bed. I wish I had gone into that profession instead. Just like the idea baby singing? of singing at babies. Yes. Just sounds- <laughs> Actually, a very good friend of mine, an old friend of mine, she lives in Kingston now. She runs, uh, oh, I wish I could remember the name of the program. It's, uh, I think that the business is called Kingston Frontenac music together but basically it's like when you're if you're a new mother and you have like an infant with you I forget how how old it goes till but it's basically like a mom and baby sing session like they come together and they do all sorts of like they'll sing simple songs but it's like 
like gets the baby moving like they'll do rhythmic Aww. movements along with singing and it's just really really sweet and um such a I'm so happy for her because she has a real passion for music and I think it's like perfect there could not be a better profession than this for her and she's very good at it so if you're in Kingston hey (laughs) and you have a baby (laughs) check them out um yeah so so that's babies and now I'll talk a little bit about some applications for uh adults and other applications so Music therapy is commonly used to help individuals with special needs for developmental work. It's also commonly used in reminiscence and orientation work with the elderly. Um, for uh, in a particular example, would be working with elderly patients who have Alzheimer's or dementia. Some of the most common significant effects are seen in social behaviors, leading to improvements in interaction, conversation, and those sorts of skills. Um, in a 1999 article published in the Journal of Music therapy, a meta study of over 330 subjects showed music therapy produces highly significant improvements to social behaviors, overt behaviors like wandering and restlessness, um, reductions in agitated behaviors, and improvements to cognitive defects, and measured with reality orientation and face recognition tests. Um, A 2004 review of literature published on music therapy for people with dementia showed that the effectiveness of the treatment seems to be strongly dependent on the patient, the quality and length of treatment and those sorts of factors. So like it, it can be effective, but like the effectiveness kind of (laughs) no duh is based on (laughs) like the people involved and the length of the therapy and those sorts of things Um, on that note. So Oliver Sacks, as I mentioned earlier, he's a writer and neurologist, but he also has this movie called Alive Inside, and it's all about music therapy and patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's, I watched this one clip, and it was this older gentleman, well, of course, he was in a nursing home, and he is kind of, like, unresponsive, like, not very engaging, doesn't react when you call his name, ask questions, etc., but they gave him this iPod, and uh, he was listening to music, and he's, he, he quotes Bible music quite often, and he, like, has spoken about loving music, etc. Or, did I say Bible music? Do you mean hymns? Verses. Yeah. Like, he would scripture? Quote, like, yeah, quotes from quote, the Bible? Okay. Yeah, he would quote scripture quite often, and he also liked music in the past, and so they downloaded a bunch of religious music for him, and they put it on him, like, these headphones, and the video just he just lights up oh wow and it's just so touching and so beautiful and like it makes me want to go into every nursing home and give everybody an ipod and speaking of that there's actually hey apple yeah. go donate ipods to every nursing home in the world yeah wow. like the old school nanos the ones that are like little squares yeah. with like tactile buttons those are the best ones but they've discontinued them oh poo which is frustrating um but there's this really amazing organization called music and org, or at least it's their website it's called <laughs> the music and memory organization uh and they do so much work in this area so again they're a non-profit but they're they specialize in bringing personalized music to the lives of the elderly or the infirm uh and it really in- improves the quality of their lives like just because music we already know has so many like amazing effects but it also really improves the symptoms of a lot of their um like a lot of their disabilities or a lot of their ailments so wow that's really something yeah just to just to toss that in there 
Thank you. That's really cool. My pleasure. Um, and good recommendation there. Go check out that movie. The, yeah, it's a documentary called Alive Inside. And it's... Um, like kind of sad at times yeah no doubt because then you think about all the people who don't have this in their lives but um music and memory like i've downloaded i've i've donated to them before and if i had they have like these ipod drives as well so if anybody has an old ipod nano donate i actually think i might have an old ipod nano i mean like i also love ipod nanos Mine broke. I was going to say mine broke. It wouldn't work. But like, I suppose if you donated it to them, maybe they would be able to like, like, yeah, take it in. I don't know. Yeah. Get it refurbished. I don't know. Um, anyway, I got to throw that in there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Sorry to go back to something kind of like back to the meta studies, but (laughs) you like to say something touching and I'm like back to the books. Anyway, yeah, getting back to those books in the same 2004 journal um, Aging and Mental Health. Many authors suspected that music has a soothing effect on the patient by affecting how noise is perceived. Music renders noise familiar or it buffers the patient from overwhelming or extraneous noise in their environment. Mm. Um, Others suggest that music serves as a sort of mediator for social interactions, which provides a vessel for um, interacting with others without requiring as much of a cognitive load. Um, It also serves as a rhythmic entertainment for people uh, who have like physical rehabilitation or in stroke victims, which we've mentioned a couple of times. It improves heart rate, reduces anxiety, stimulates the brain and improves learning. Um, I also want to touch on how music therapy can be used uh, in in therapy for people with psychiatric disorders. Um, so first, a 2016 meta-analysis on the use of music therapy in the treatment of schizophrenia found that the treatment effect was significantly better in the patients who received music therapy in addition to other treatments than in those who did not, um, in negative symptoms, mood symptoms, and also in positive symptoms. So basically, like as a, a an additional aspect to their therapy, music was like had like significant improvements to those who did not have music therapy incorporated as well. Hmm. Um, a 2017 review in the Cochrane database of systematic reviews found that some evidence suggests that music therapy as an addition to standard care improves the global state, mental state, social functioning, and quality of life of people with schizophrenia or schizophrenia-like disorders, um, but the effects were inconsistent across studies and depended on the number of music therapy sessions as well as the quality of the music therapy provided. Now, I want to interrupt my own flow here and tell you a story that I heard in a TED Talk about music therapy. Um, I watched a talk by a man named Robert Gupta, who told the story of Nathaniel Anthony Ayers, a Juilliard-trained double bassist who attended Juilliard and then was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. What's a double bassist? A double bassist? Do you know what a, a upright bass is? Yeah. Twice. Like, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's just like wow. a, it's a bigger... <laughs> instrument then it's oh. like an upright bass but it's even bigger because it's like wait he plays them with both hands no like, no uh, okay. no it's a double bass is another instrument it's, it's just like a, a real big big bass what is this a bass for ants <laughs> and then they time multiplied it by two S- sort of um yeah anyway so there's a there's a book about this story and there's also a movie called the soloist that stars jamie fox as nathaniel and robert uh-huh. downey jr as the journalist who discovered him playing the violin on the streets of skid row in downtown la 
Now, in real, like it is, it is a, a real story. Um, in real life, these two people bonded through music, and music also helped Nathaniel get off the streets. So Nathaniel refuses more traditional clinical treatments because when he was treated, um, like clinically for his schizophrenia, it was through shock therapy, intense drugs, handcuffs. Like he was really scarred by the experience. But Robert Gupta, he ended up being connected with Nathaniel because Nathaniel wanted a lesson with Gupta. Gupta is um, like first chair in the fucking Los Angeles Philharmonic or some shit. He's I don't know if that's exactly what he is, but he's a very accomplished musician. Mm -hmm. Um, And anyway, in their lessons together, Nathaniel was actually nearing a schizophrenic episode. He was behaving like manically. And um, so... Uh, Gupta just like he recognized that this was coming on he didn't really know what to do so he just started playing his violin and that music that he started playing totally transformed Nathaniel his rage transformed into something else and he became calm and quiet and he started playing his own violin like snippets of concertos that he couldn't quite finish himself he would ask Gupta to to finish it Um, and then they started talking about music and it just totally reshaped Nathaniel from this paranoid individual who walked into the room into a Juilliard trained musician like in the blink of an eye Um, music actually shapes his paranoia back into reality like back into sanity and music brought him back from the streets and into a family of musicians Um, it's a pretty short TED talk and it's an incredible story it only takes he like Gupta talks for about five minutes and then he plays the violin for like the next five minutes and it's beautiful so watch it I'll put the we'll put the link in our show notes because it was just like it's a good story and he's like I say an incredibly accomplished violin player so it's it's nice to listen to nice yeah I I thought it was special I wonder what that looks like in the brain like to tamper a mm-hmm. a manic episode like see a site like what what does actually your brain light up when a when an episode is coming up and then music yeah. is infused yeah i wonder um and that's so hard to like actually yeah how would you measure that? happen um anyway uh just just interrupted myself there but back back to some more like scholarly reviews uh well, 20- i mean don't sound so excited <laughs> well i know but like scholarly reviews don't have the same sort of like you know oh how romantic or how like um amazing how affecting yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know you know what i mean anyway in a 2017 review in the (laughs) journal of affective disorders (laughs) they found that music therapy for children and adolescents with major depressive or anxiety disorders may be effective in reducing the severity of internalizing their symptoms Um, and in the cochrane review that i mentioned a moment ago they found moderate quality evidence that music therapy added to treatment is more effective than treatment as usual alone in people with depression. So incorporating music therapy into other therapies sounds pretty hopeful. Um, And finally, although more empirical evidence is needed, a 2017 review on the use of music therapy in PTSD suggests that music therapy may be useful maybe a useful therapeutic tool to reduce symptoms and improve functioning among individuals with trauma exposure and PTSD. It's interesting that it took so long to get that peer review because, as I mentioned in one of the TED Talks, they said that music therapy started with soldiers with PTSD. That's true. 
anyway, so that's that's what I brought to uh, share with you about applications of music therapy. So, Marta, you want to wrap us up and, and talk about education now that everybody's inspired and wants to go out and change the world of music therapy? Yeah. How does one become educated and how does one get a career in music therapy? Um, well, the first thing that I actually wanted to touch upon that I forgot to mention in my intro about music is, you know, we heard about all of these benefits of being a musician and that sort of thing on children and like how people who are musicians who actually so when we're listening to music just as a listener it's like there's fireworks going off in our brains but when you're actually playing the music it's like a jubilation in your brain like your brain goes absolutely wild and it's like really good it's like going to the gym for your brain wow and the a lot of the times like the positive effects that we see from certain things like really help kids during development but don't help people into adulthood and whatever this is not true for music so if you want to pick up an instrument and start to learn it now it will be harder for you now than it would have been for a child in the beginning but you still get like similar maybe not as wild effects but you still get very similar um benefits from it so it's not too late so as part of education you can teach yourself music if you don't want to take the plunge into becoming a music therapist but um yeah as i mentioned after all of this stuff about music therapy that i learned about it like singing at babies sounds dope and if i can do it in a way that like <laughs> it's clinically sound and i'm actually improving their quality of life and like potential outcomes later that like sign me up how do I become a music therapist well Marta I'm glad you asked Marta <laughs> so uh music therapy is something that we mentioned you have to be accredited to, in order to be a music therapist and it requires a thorough study of music but also examination of self and others so your undergrad coursework is about 60 percent music and music therapy so like music itself like classical music training mm -hmm. etc but also how music influences people because there's a lot of research in this area already so you can learn about it 15 percent of your undergrad courses are clinical foundations so like how to act with patients mm -hmm. and whatever whatever and then 25 percent are general education and electives so background like biology and i don't know you might need to know physics or whatever um so there's that so you have to get some sort of formal education in mm -hmm. music therapy from what i looked at there's not very many music therapy programs out there and most of them start as undergrad programs mm -hmm. so if you want to go into a master's and you have something similar or related you do have to do other courses to like get yourself yeah, yeah. so if you have an undergrad in psych and you want to go into a master's in music therapy, you can't just go right into the master's in music therapy. You have to also take those music courses as well. So anybody that had a dual major of music and psych, you're a shoe in hmm. or, um, or if you went to one of these five Canadian universities, uh, Acadia University, Canadian Mennonite University, Capilano University, Wilfrid Laurier or Concordia. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Laurier has this. Yeah. That's where my sister went. Yeah. And, and it's, it's pretty cool when you're looking at the course list, but it is really like a blended curriculum mm -hmm. um, and very specialized. I'm not sure about U.S. universities because I didn't look into that. But on the topic of U.S. universities, there are um, careers in music therapy everywhere, not just in Canada. So there are definitely um, <laughs> music therapists in the States, and that's probably where it started. 
but there's every country has their own association for music therapists and their own accreditation board mm -hmm. although from what i understand their requirements are very similar mm -hmm. so if you're accredited in one place you can probably get accredited somewhere else so in canada it's canadian association of music therapists in the states you want to guess what it is the american association of music yeah therapists? and in the uk you want to guess what it is the uk association of music therapists british but oh. yeah i use the wrong <laughs> word <laughs> and then there i also found that there's a world Federation of Music Therapy, which is actually an international nonprofit, so it's not necessarily a certifying body, but it's one that like is very much in touch with all of the probably has connections to the like, national regional. Ones. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um as far as what your job would look like as a music therapist, pretty much um you could work kind of anywhere where there's like a clinical setting or some sort of like helping people environment so general and psychiatric hospitals community mental health agencies rehabilitation centers daycare facilities nursing homes schools private practice uh you can basically work across all sorts of groups and demographics if you go onto the canadian association for music therapists website there's a list of music therapists um and from my googling that's pretty much the only place to find music therapists is on that website because wow. everywhere else like you have to go you have to do very targeted googling uh maybe some of them have like their own websites and stuff like that but the association since they all have to be accredited your best bet is to find them on the association's website um, and then I did a job search so I tried to check on indeed for music therapist positions and whatever because I wanted to see you know, is there kind of like a gradual pathway that where you can get into this? Like, do you have to go through a master's track or an undergrad track? And you kind of do in order to get accredited. So they don't really accept equivalencies, like work equivalencies mm -hmm. in accreditation. Like you have to go through some sort of schooling. And there's also, you need, a, at least for the US ones, you need a thousand hours of um, work. Like actually you need to work with a music therapist and you need to take an exam as well. So it's like you're in pretty safe hands if you're working with a music therapist. Um, and also all of these people have a bunch of abbreviations after their name. So like uh, RP and MCT and MT. And I'm like, okay, some of these are ligaments and some of them are like short forms for social media, like RT, retweet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, they these people are very, very educated and knowledgeable about both music itself like music theory composition etc because they are musicians and psychotherapy because they administer therapies uh for my google image search also there's no jobs currently in toronto <laughs> for music therapists at least not on indeed um did i say google image search i meant google job search whatever there's I no jobs yeah there's no jobs in toronto i actually don't know if there's any jobs in ontario for music therapists i wonder if maybe like it's not like there's job postings the way that there are for other professions like if you have to be accredited and like this is it sounds like it's a pretty small community of people yeah. Yeah, and probably. maybe i'm just assuming that but um yeah it sounds like a smaller network so maybe that's not how you get yeah. a job in that field yeah so it's really really niche but um I'm looking forward to watching it get bigger and I'm looking forward to watching it like diversify. So maybe there's a music therapist, but there's, um, there's also like, there's a head music therapist, but then there's like practitioners who are below the head music therapist. So like, and there's like formulated therapies. So if somebody's suffering from depression, then like here are the five varieties that you can try or whatever. And on a related note, there's this company called focus at work focus and then at sign mm -hmm. work um, and they do 
like neural I don't know like neural music or something that's supposed to like help you while you're focusing and so you take this quiz where you're like what kind of work what kind of person am I like how easily am I distracted like what kind of energy level do I need whatever whatever um and they suggest like a type of music that you should be listening to while you're working and it's more than just the focus group on Spotify yeah oh oh there's so much more because like for me I'm pretty particular and like sometimes it can take me like up to half an hour to find a good playlist that I'm like okay with to that's work true to. of me as well yeah yeah so there's focus at work which is one of the companies that I know of because I've used they have like this so they you take the quiz and then they have like five or six different categories of like music type and they actually compose music specifically for what like your brain needs and I don't know how much of this is hokey but there's one that I listen to and it's like up tempo music for study or whatever and I listen to it while I'm researching for the podcast like all the time and while I'm working so like I've memorized this damn track but it's it's really cool so like music therapy can expand into areas like that too like it doesn't have to be just like for people who are suffering from certain ailments yeah but just like it could also help to enhance you as a person cool well does that wrap up what we have to talk about for music therapy and by the way guys this is like the tip of an iceberg like i feel like we this is going to be a longer episode for us but as far as like the um sources that we found out there there is so 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 much more yeah yeah (laughs) to learn about about, like music therapy specifically here but there's also just like music in general and what it does to you psychologically so like it being used in a clinical setting versus like just music in life Mm -hmm. like music in advertisements and whatever like I was shopping yesterday and I was bopping my head and I was like I don't even know this song or like it but But I want these pants yeah (laughs) But I'm trying on these pants. Yeah. And now I'm dancing in the pants. <laughs> and now I'm buying the pants. Yeah, anyway. So no, that's true. It's there's there's a lot of other uh, there's a lot more to talk about. And uh we, we tried to keep it to an hour because we can't we can't talk your ears off for that long. Um but thank you all for tuning in and yeah. uh we will post um some links to these um TED Talks or to some of these other sources that we've talked about in the show notes for this episode because um they're really neat and if you were at all interested by the episode you'll probably be interested in checking those out as well. Yeah. Um otherwise uh like Marta said at the beginning of the episode We'd love to hear any questions that came up for you while you were listening today or uh, to any episode really, but specifically about today, if there's something that you wanted to know more about or would like us to cover in a follow-up, you can send us an email to who knew we didn't at gmail.com or you can contact us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are who knew we didn't everywhere. You can also use the hashtag WKWD uh, to get in touch with us Uh, but yeah anything that came up any questions any ideas anything at all just just give us a shout because we'd love to hear from you yep thank you thank you Bye. bye bye